Well, good evening and welcome once again to our Wednesday evening Bible study slot. We are this evening meeting again and going to be considering the next passage in uh, John's first epistle, uh, chapter 2, and, and just a few verses, the very familiar passage from verse uh, 15 uh, to 17. But uh, won't you bow your heads, let's pray together again our acknowledgement that we really are dependent on God. God uh, is our teacher, the Holy Spirit being at work among us. Our Father, we do turn to you uh, this evening, looking to you to continue your work of grace in us, leading us, Lord, especially tonight as we consider this particular passage regarding um, our sanctification, our walk of faith in this world of darkness. And so I do pray that you would once again just help us in understanding the passage, but may we also be those who are willing to apply that which you uh, have revealed to us and and even in the explanation and, and engagement that we have with this passage tonight. And so, Lord, thank you for your Holy Spirit's work in us. We remember the uh, wonderful blessing of replacing a heart of stone with a heart of flesh. And so approaching this study tonight, asking that the tenderness of our hearts toward you uh, would be uh, in evidence in just practical Christian living to the glory of your name. So thank you for opportunity for those who are helping, Ryan and Jamie, just commending them to you as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So do turn in your Bibles and uh, keep your Bible open uh, at 1 John chapter 2. And uh, do take note of what we, we have been. There was that diversion that John had made. Uh, he had been looking at some of the uh, tests of Christian faith. And we had looked at two of those tests and then had this diversion of encouragement or affirmation of faith. And then he gets to verse 15 and he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world... The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So just that section of the passage, I do want to introduce the uh, passage tonight, just getting us thinking about uh, allegiance. And, and loyalty. And we do understand in the everyday life that uh, these are important attributes and, and values. And, and I was thinking about those of us who live in Pretoria, uh, certainly many people I've discovered in our local church are, are Blue Bull supporters. Uh, we know that if you live in Pretoria, we would mostly be those who support this rugby team. Many of you in the church are staunch, we would call you staunch supporters of the Blue Bulls. I've no doubt that you have a blue t-shirt, uh, that some of you have a blue flag that you would fly outside of your car on, on the day, on match day when the team is about to play. And, and even some among us have seven, well before COVID, would have had season tickets at Loftus uh, Stadium. 
I wonder if anybody in our church, I haven't noticed this, but I wonder if anybody at Central has a set of horns mounted on their lounge wall, just in support in allegiance to the Blue Bulls. My point being that the Blue Bulls is your team. This is the team that you support. Uh, This is the team that you get behind. Now imagine, imagine how ridiculous, how foolish it would be if you as a Blue Bull supporter would spend time and money and effort in supporting the Sharks. Just wouldn't happen. It would be nothing less than betrayal. It would be seen to be uh, disloyal and, and you could be accused of duplicity. And, and, and how can you support the Sharks when, when you claim to be, be a Blue Bull supporter? So just get to get you thinking along the lines of, of loyalty and, and allegiance. And, and I think that illustration, I hope in some small way, expresses something of the sentiment of this passage that John uh, writes as the Holy Spirit leads him. Uh, God had, through John, sent an encouraging message of affirmation, and that's where we were last week. And he had done that, wanting to encourage people to not be unsettled in their faith. Having shared the two initial tests of faith, he was making an effort to encourage them, to affirm them. Uh, God has accomplished so much in your life. And, and even as believers among us tonight listening to this Bible study, let's, let's remember that as, as children of God, your sins have been forgiven. And, and so don't allow the devil to, to accuse you and, and, and lead you down pathways of false guilt. No, the affirmation is there. Your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. He went on to speak also about the fact that those who are mature in the faith have that settled conviction, that knowledge of knowing the Father. And then that intermediate group, we spoke last week about those who are in mature ring. And again, the encouragement that they uh, are strong and have overcome the evil one. And we saw that in verses 12 through uh, to 14. But now as he moves on, he wants to clarify And make the point that allegiance, your allegiance as a believer, my allegiance as a believer, is with God and his kingdom. And this point is simple. Now now that you know who you are with your sins forgiven, your settled conviction that God is your father, that you have overcome the evil one, that you you, you know something of the strength uh, from God and and through God uh, overcoming the evil one. And then he gives this, what I've called an uncompromising command, applicable to each one of us children of God. Verse 15, do not love the world or anything in the world. And so my first point uh, this evening is a very clear instruction. Your loyalty as a believer must exclusively be with God. Now again, I want to to, to just show uh, by illustration, human life illustration, we've just come through a time of uh, elections, municipal elections, and various parties uh, presented themselves to be voted for. 
And we know that in our country, and I guess in any country in the world, there are different levels of support for a certain or particular political party. Uh, there are those people who are really politically active, and, and, and they would identify themselves as card-carrying members. And in their back pockets or in their wallets or in their purses, there would be proof that they are members of whether it be the ANC or the DA or the EFF or the Freedom Front Plus and so on and so on. But there are those who have actually taken the step of, of supporting uh, a particular political party uh, paying a, a certain affiliation fee, I would imagine, and, and being identified as a supporter, a card-carrying member of the party. Now, surely, it, it would be a reasonable expectation if you're a card-carrying member of a certain political party, let's say, for example, the ANC or the DA, it would be expected that you would support, that you would be loyal, that you would be aligned to that particular party. Now that's at a human level. How much more should we as believers, those of us who through the grace, the generous grace of God, have had our sins forgiven, God including us into his family that we can call him our father and we know that we are his children, his sons and daughters, how much more should we not also be willing to give ourselves completely and fully to God and His way? You see, the Almighty Sovereign God, there are two elements that we need to see there. Expects allegiance, and we're going to see that in the passage tonight. There's an expectation. But, but we also must not forget that it's not just an expectation. It is, God, it is that God deserves nothing less than the allegiance of his creatures. And especially those who are, we could describe as twice born. Created physically, but also created in Christ Jesus uh, through being born again. We know that the first and most important command uh, that Jesus quoted and publicly proclaimed in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And it, that's it. There, there is the allegiance. There is the loyalty. And, and, and that puts it so positively and, and comprehensively, whereas John states it negatively. Verse 15. Do not love the do not love the world or anything in the world. Now, I want us to explore this uh, this passage, and and uh, some of you may be thinking, "Hang on a minute, this seems like a contradiction." Yeah, John is telling us not to love the world, but the Bible tells us that God loves the world. So, if you have in one passage, uh, God so loved the world that He gave. And, and so there we see the love of God for the world. And, and, and now John says to us, do not love the world. And 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, and, and anything in the world. Is, is this not a contradiction? How do we understand that? Uh, and so the question, should we love the world or should we hate the world? 
Well, the very important lesson, and it's something I've spoken of many times, and again I repeat it tonight, uh, many theological controversies can be avoided by simply employing a sound rule of interpretation. The same word does not necessarily mean the same thing in a different context. Very, very important. Not only biblical literature, but any book you read, any conversation you have, any communication that takes place, words, individual words, need to be understood in the context in which they appear. Let me give you some examples. In English, if we take just the the word in isolation, foot. Well, you have a foot that you fit into a shoe every day and and, and you stand on your foot uh, or plural feet. But foot can also not only be part of your physical body, but foot is also a measurement, 12 inches. Uh, And so what is it? How do you understand? Is it foot body part? Is it foot measurement? You understand from the context, the sentence, the paragraph, uh, the chapter in which the particular word is used. I have some other examples. Nail, N-I-A-I-N-A-I-L. The ladies, we know, paint their nails or paint a nail. And yet we know also that one uses a nail, same spelling, same word, and you drive that nail uh, with a hammer through a piece of wood into another piece of wood to secure it into position. So the same word has a different meaning depending on the context. And I'm sure that you can think of any, many other examples um, as well. And so when we look at this passage, we need to see that this word world, world, can have different meanings depending on the context and the intention of the author. And so again, I'm going to give you some examples. We're going to look at three different usages in the Bible of this word world. At times we find in the Bible world means nothing more than the created planet. In the beginning, God created the world and everything in it. And, and so we understand in some instances, the intention is simply just to speak about this physical planet, earth, uh, the world, the globe, the planet, the place. God made this and we are certainly truly grateful for that work that he did. That's the first example. The second example, at other times, the word world refers to the world of people. People, And again, uh, John uh, uses this sense in, in, in the gospel, in the sense that God loved the world and gave his only begotten son. That well-known verse in John chapter 3, verse, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 16. Not speaking there about the physical globe. He's primarily uh, speaking there about sinful people, that God so loved this world that is in rebellion to him, that, that he sends his son. And as you go on in that passage, you see that the world becomes the object of his saving purposes. Verse 17 of chapter 3, and that Jesus gives himself, as we read uh, earlier in this letter and did in a previous study, Jesus gave himself as an atoning sacrifice 
for the world, but people, the nations. And therefore we know that at the end of time and, and in glory, we will gather together at the throne of God, people from every tribe, nation and language, because God so loved the world. There is a third major use of the word world, and it's one that I would describe that involves the ethical or an ethical dimension. The idea here is of the world of people, but in rebellion to God. It's the morality or the immorality. And so what does it involve? The world, as used in this particular passage, involves the world's values, the world's pleasures and pastimes and, and, and aspirations. And, and so John says here, and, and, and in this uh, context of this book, that the world lies in the grip of the evil one. What's he speaking there? Speaking of people who are in rebellion to God. He speaks uh, uh, in his gospel in chapter 1 verse 10 that this world rejected Jesus. This world that he came to. And then in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it's the world that does not know him. Did you get the idea? Different meaning, same word. What does it mean in this particular context? It's this third sense that we Christians are not to love the world or everything in it. It, it has to do with us not loving the world's values or pleasures or pastimes or aspirations and agendas. There is the fact that the world has a certain disposition. It has a certain outlook on life and the meaning of life. It, the world has a certain frame of mind. And so it is this anti-God mentality of the human race, this worldwide fondness of sin, which causes men and women to stumble into wickedness. And, and we can think of many examples of that, uh, why, why it is that uh, people would disregard uh, the institution of marriage, uh, why people would disregard uh, the property of another person, uh, why people would disregard uh, the importance of, of, of uh, other people's marriages in committing adultery or, or even in terms of this current agenda in, in the LGBTQ uh, uh, pressure that's coming upon us. Uh, it's, it's a worldliness. It's, it's, it's a mindset that is in opposition to God and, and His ways. Uh, the, the disrespect for human life in, in, in aborting babies. It's, it's Again, it's a disposition that, that doesn't care what, what, what God has designed and what God has created and what God has uh, prescribed. It's the inclination to be drawn into the ways of the people around us who do not know God. And so that brings me to my second major point uh, this evening. And I want to ask the question, why should your loyalty exclusively be with God? And John gives us two very clear reasons in this very short passage as to why we believers cannot have divided loyalties. Why we cannot be disloyal to God and instead be uh, and, 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 and why we shouldn't be aligned 
to the world. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, you can't have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. And in verse 15, the second part of the verse, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's the first reason. There's the first reason, and I want to read it again. If anyone loves the world, and we need to hear this, if anybody loves the disposition of the world, the inclination of the world, the values of the world, and, and, and they love that which is in rebellion to God, the bottom line is the love of the Father is not in him. And so the first reason is that love for the world shows an absence for the love of God, or even of the love of of God. You see, love for the world and love for the Father are a mismatch. They, they, they don't fit together. They can't go together. Uh, these two loves, we could also say, cannot and does not coexist. It's like, it's, it, imagine the ridiculous notion, and sometimes I believe this has happened, but it's absolute lunacy. It's like being able to be, uh, to, to, to claim, to, to honor and, and be devoted to your spouse, and, and at the same time say you, 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 you honor and you're devoted and, and you love your mistress. That, that doesn't, it, it can't be done. It can't be done. Or to use, uh, some of the teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, he makes this point very clear. No one can serve two masters. He expands, he says, either he will hate the one and love the other, he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And in this context, he's speaking here about God and money. But the point being is that we have the capacity and the obligation to love one. And, and in this context, it's to have loyalty towards God. It is impossible to both, to love God, to serve God, and at the same time love that which opposes God and grieves His Spirit. So I want to ask another question. And the question is, why does love for the world show an absence for the love of God? What is it that is specifically uh, identified as grieving the heart of God and that which opposes the will and the way of God? Have a look at verse 16. And, and, and perhaps a pencil would be helpful over here if you have a look at verse 16. For everything in the world, and then he actually gives us three different phrases or clauses, and, and then he concludes... Uh, that these three identified actions or attitudes or uh, behavior patterns come not from the Father, but from the world. And, and so we, we need to look at this and see, well, is this something that is characteristic of me? Is this something characteristic of you? Because the, 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 the detail of, of verse 16 identifies for us the essential marks of the unbeliever, of the pagan, of, of, what the, of what the godless way of life looks like. None of this comes from God, is opposed to God, and is not pleasing to him. So I've given it uh, my own titles over here. In the first instance, he speaks of the cravings of 
the sinful man. <coughs> this describes the desires of the fallen nature. It's that pull into wickedness that comes to us through physical appetites. We have physical desires. We have physical inclinations. And, and so there is this pull in the absence of the presence of God that, that, that directs us in ways, that pulls us into ways that are not pleasing to God. It can be our sexuality. It can even be when we're in a condition of tiredness. It could be uh, uh, self-justification. It could even be in, in, in a particular place when we're hungry or thirsty. But let me quote an author uh, that describes this particular uh, characteristic of the godless. It is when we are dominated by the senses. And then he gives some examples. Effeminate in luxury, slavish in pleasure, lustful and lax in morals, selfish in the use of possessions, Regardless of all the spiritual values, extravagant in the gratification of worldly, earthly, and material desires. The flesh's desire is forgetful of, blind to, or regardless of the commandments of God. So simply living your life, following every single whim, or desire, or inclination, without reference to that which is pleasing to God. The second is the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes, the tendency to be captivated by the outward show of things. Being captivated and, and doing so without really investigating or probing or thinking about their real value. It's the way, again, to use the words in which sin's pull is intensified when we see something that attracts us. Some examples, we have Potiphar's wife. Genesis chapter 39 verse 7. So what did she see? She saw this young servant. After a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph. You see, he was appealing to her. And so immediately she just acts because of, of an impulse of desire. And she said, come to bed with me. And many people today just want to act on the basis of impulse. We have Achan in Joshua chapter 7 verse 21. The description there, I saw, I coveted. And then not to forget David with Bathsheba. Seeing, not investigating, not probing, not thinking about the real value or purpose, meaning of what he's doing in relation to God. So it always includes the love of beauty divorced from the love of goodness. That's the lust of the eyes. But the third one, the third category or third uh, criteria that we identify godlessness is the boasting of what he has and does. It's very subtle and, and uh, I thought I'd just give some examples from different authors on their translation over here. One, one author describes this particular type of person as a braggart. I think you've come across people like that. They can't stop talking about themselves and the achievements. Uh, 
Another author by the name of Dodd uh, describes this person as a conceited, pretentious humbug. And again, it's somebody just consumed with themselves. Someone who seeks to impress everyone he meets with his own non-existent importance. Boasting what he has and does. The pride of life, it's an arrogance uh, relating to one's external circumstances, whether those external circumstances be, be, be because of wealth or, or status or, or even sometimes just dress. It's the desire to shine or to outshine or to be better than others in luxurious living. The bottom line, and, and it's, it, it's a thread that follows through all of this, it's the tendency to exalt self, to elevate oneself, to think more highly of oneself than we ought, to manipulate self, to look good or to look important in the eyes of others. And so can you see why these are godless marks, why they identify those who are in the world and do not have the love of God? Because God is not in the picture. They have put themselves as most important as uh, replacing God in the picture. That then brings me to a second reason as why we Christians cannot and should not have divided loyalties uh, between God and and the world. So if the first one was that love for the world shows an absence of the love of God because self dominates, the second reason is love for the world is short-lived. Verse 17, the world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. I've used this illustration many times, uh, one of the most sobering experiences I've had as a pastor uh, repeatedly down through the years, and, and I imagine the Lord sparing me, I will experience this again and again as I've uh, witnessed and stood beside the bed of uh, somebody who's dying, and I've stood there with loved ones. Uh, waiting for that moment, for that time when they pass from this life and the earthly tent they live in is destroyed. And, and as believers, we know they move into a building of God. And, and then we, we, we would normally take some time to just reflect, uh, uh, consider the, the hope beyond this life and, and pray together. But then after a few minutes, we walk away. And every time it happens, this... Uh, sobering experience comes to mind because I watch as family gather the belongings of their loved one, not leaving them at hospital. And, and, and the bottom line, the point I'm trying to make is that when someone passes from this life, they don't even take their toothbrush with them. We leave, the family leave with a toiletry bag with a toothbrush and the toothpaste, those basic necessities and, and instruments that we use in daily life. Not even that gets taken with you. And so John's point is love for the world is short-lived. You don't take anything with you. The world and its desires pass away. But the man who lives 
who, who does the will of God lives forever. You can, on the one hand, pin your hopes on the world and its system, but it's, it's passing. It's, it's transitory. It's described for us in Luke chapter 12, verse 13. He said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Did you get the point? Is love for the world is short-lived. It, it's therefore essential to give your allegiance to God. Uh, you, you can love the world and the things of the world, but, but rather, rather you can be devoted to God, you can be devoted to His will and live forever. And so that really brings me to my conclusion. And I hope that you see the, the amazing relevance of this passage. 2021, we are being bombarded with values and intentions and agendas and mindsets of the world coming from every direction, whether it be ideology, whether it be the political uh, 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 leaders, uh, and, and even in community around us. And, 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 and more and more we are seeing a total disregard for God and an allegiance to God, a loyalty to God. But the appeal of this passage, more than 2,000 or 2,000 years ago, is, is one of, do not love the world. Do not love the world. Give your allegiance to God. God commands His children not to love the world. God commands us to be exclusively loyal to Him. And so, if you're someone who knows God, and we're going to be looking at more of these tests or another test as we move along in, in time to come, an uncompromising command comes to us, a challenge to us today. Every child of God, do not love the world or anything in the world. And so there is a challenge this evening. Consider your commitment. Consider your stewardship. Who is it that owns your heart? Has God captivated your heart? Has God uh, captured your heart? Are you consumed uh, for God and for the love of God by, by and through Christ and His work? Or do the passing pleasures of the world captivate and capture your heart? God helping us, we pray instead that our allegiance be with Him. And so, Lord, we pray for that. Any one of us, Lord, can grow in our love for you, in our allegiance uh, to you. And I pray for us as individuals, 
but also, Lord, for us as a local church, that we would be courageous in standing up, being willing to live out, Lord, that which you are worthy of and that which you command us to do. And so enable us, even as we consider this passage, as we discuss it, as we pray through it, as we uh, measure ourselves against it, that you would lead each one of us forward in our loyalty to you, in our love for you, heart and soul and mind and strength, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want you just uh, uh, put the concluding slide up and you can, again, once again, just take a, a photograph of that with your phone. And if you are in a group, some people do meet in a group. If you could take some time to discuss those questions, real soul searching, study this and do trust that there will be some uh, value uh, for you. So God bless you, be with you and looking forward to us gathering together on the Lord's Day. Amen.